Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Athletic Greens and their nutrition drink, AG1, a product that Elric and I have been taking every day. After months of being in quarantine, Elric and I both wanted to improve our health in the new year. So we decided to try Athletic Greens. It's a health supplement that actually tastes great and really boosts your energy. Plus, it's from New Zealand, which Elric loves. So what is AG1? Uh, With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, all those things. I started taking mine daily right before my breakfast um, and before I started in with the coffee. So it became this thing that I was looking forward to as soon as I got up in the morning. It lets me know that I'm getting the nutrients I need. And after trying to choke down an assortment of homemade kale and quinoa smoothies I was making, I got to say the taste of this is great. It's got this wonderful lemon flavor. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, vegan, dairy-free, paleo, or gluten-free. As you guys know, I have crazy food allergies, and it is free from all of the eight major allergens, which I was really impressed with. AG1, it's a small micro habit with big benefits, and it costs less than $3 a day, so way cheaper than the cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. I take it like 30 minutes before coffee, and it actually has given me a little boost of energy, which has been great. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And welcome to Colors of the Dark on a special, ridiculously early Thursday morning. What the fuck, guys? This is like crazy early. Um, But I am here with uh, a nice cup of tea and um, still wearing my pajamas. And Elric's got his remember that time when RoboCop shot that dude in the dick coffee mug. Elric Kane. Never forget. Never forget never that forget. moment that I saw at nine never years forget. old and will never forget it. Um, I live my life by that code. Um, anyway, yeah, life's good. Uh, we're both here. We are both returned. You survived a very hot, brutal streak here in Los Angeles the last few days. Oh, God, it was gross. I, I was totally jelly that you were all like in the Pacific Northwest, like in the woods, looking at streams and birds and nice coffee shops while I was here. And it was like just gross. Well, shout out to, okay, so like about uh, 15, 18, whenever I, whenever I was 21, uh, I was dating a girl from Seattle and I went to Scarecrow Video. So that's the only time I got to go to Scarecrow Video all those years ago. And I remember being like, oh my God, this is the greatest place ever. Uh, and the, then unfortunately that relationship ended, so I didn't get more scarecrow. Really, that was the problem. I should I should have kept it going it just like, to. That was your accident. You know, could have. Uh, but I got to go back uh, this weekend, and I just got to I, I got to give them a shout out because I truly think, and I've I've worked in a really good video store uh, in Chicago. I, I think Scarecrow is probably the best video store in the world now. I think the layout 
is what maybe sets it apart. It is like, see, if you walked in with me, you'd be like, oh, this is the inside of our, how our brains are. The way it's laid out, it is massive. It's like Indiana Jones uh, Raiders last scene massive, but it's like psychotronic room, an entire room, an entire room, you know, uh, row on Hong Kong horror. Then it's, but the thing that set it apart that I wanted to give them a lot of respect for is an entire wall in the shape of a giant Bigfoot that they've carved out of all the Bigfoot Sasquatch movies. And it's just right at the front of the store when you walk in. So it's, you know, Seattle taking its uh, correct place at the top of that uh, Bigfoot pyramid. Uh, so very cool video store. If you live there or you're anywhere near, you should, it, it should be a destination uh, for nerds like us. Oh, oh I'm totally, well, I'm going to talk about um, my hometown. Well, the one that I grew up with video vault comes up later on in the does, episode. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty exciting. Um, which you get to hear me and the guest geek out because we realize we're from the same area area um and grew up with the same video store which is kind of amazing but yeah so that is coming up we have an awesome interview coming up and i'm totally jealous that you got to go to scarecrow video because that is one of those that is legendary that is just known globally yeah they have a good book too i would plug the book the book is the scarecrow video guide you can get it on amazon it's huge it's like one of those massive leonard moulton type books but if you're looking for one book that just has all the entries when you're you know you need a quick when you're scrolling amazon and need a quick uh short paragraph on something i love those books i so i love those books so much that i've actually pitched a couple of them and list books like that like the ones that i grew up with were the cult movie or the cult movie hound i guess is what uh, they video were called. Uh, yeah the movie um, hounds video guides he had a cult one and then there was a horror one and I had both of them. Honestly, that cult one became like a checklist for me when I was probably a freshman in college when that came out. And it was literally like a checklist of movies that I tried my best to watch when I was in college. Um, and those ones, they just don't really put them out anymore. And they're a real hard sell because the internet. Well, I think it's also um, podcasts <laughs> have kind mm. of done, like, I know a lot of people listen to us or the other shows, like, for those quick recommendations. And that's what I got. Like you, I had uh, Danny Perry's Cult Movie Guides. Then I had, you know, the Movie Hounds, a little less so, but the main one for me was the Psychotronic uh, Encyclopedia oh, yeah. and the I Video s- Guide. Those were huge as well. You gave me that for my birthday yeah. probably 10 years ago. Yeah, no, but I love it. It's And it's still great. Mm-hmm. And um, he has a store now called the Psychotronic Video Store down in like Augusta, Georgia. So I almost want to go on a trip one day to Georgia. The, you know, he's still the same guy who ran the, uh, you know, all, all the different magazine incarnations and the, and the guidebooks. So someday. Well, See, I just added that into my next cross. Yeah, you're you're not far from there, bro. Um, no, no, Virginia is actually it's probably six hours from. Like I said, not far, maybe more. (laughs) Um, no, it's it's. I mean, we're like twelve hours to Orlando, but um, yes, I would assume maybe like six to nine to Georgia, depending on where it is. But um, that said, most of my my favorite thing to do now has just been to aimlessly wander about the country in my shitty RV. Um, and so I am always looking for more places I can just aimlessly wander. Um, well, if you go down there, you have to meet me in Savannah first because that's still my favorite place in America. Oh, gosh. I've been to Savannah once. Um, and it was while I was driving down to Orlando. We were doing a trip to um, – we always went to Disney for spring break. Um, you know, everybody else goes to Daytona Beach, but we turn right and go to Disney. Um, and we'd stop by Savannah. It was absolutely lovely. You need a haunted so. tour. They're, they're really good I do. There. They're really I good. I do. But we got to hang out until late last night, which is why we are podcasting so early this morning, was on our normal record night. We went to the New Beverly and saw the premiere of 
Pearl. Um, not the world premiere. It had already played at TIFF, but um, that was just yesterday. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they the day after they opened at the New Beverly here in Los Angeles. So we got to see a 35 millimeter screening with really good popcorn and junior men. Yeah, and some good um, moderations. Like we got yeah. Larry Karaszewski, Rod Edward doing the Q&A with Ty afterwards and saw a lot of uh, people beforehand. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great way to I'm so happy they've been doing That's how we saw X together. Oh. And we met a listener yes. whose name I I was so excited of because he was showing us pictures of him in a Colors of the Dark shirt. I should have gotten your name, sir. It was an honor meeting. Yes, you. shout out to the um, mystery man. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he said his name. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was just a lot of excitement, at least on my yeah, part. Yeah, so, very... yeah, but it was cool meeting you, man. But the simplest way to put, because uh, we both really like Pearl, but I got the feeling like when we talked about X and Pearl, it's really fun because I think if you listen to the show, you'll know we like both liked both of them, but you might be a little more more a pearl style and i might be mm. a little bit more an x style just in terms of our overall taste but i liked it as I, the, the simple version is uh serial mom wizard of oz that's how i yeah. walked out going this is very different for ty totally i thought that's it yeah this honestly um does not feel like like most of ty west's work um but that said this may kind of inch up to be one of my my favorite film that he has done um just because it is so heavily stylized and all of the style he is pulling from 1920s to 1940s musicals so it's got like a lot of busby berkeley a lot of like vincent minnelli in there um it's just very kind of like you know it feels 1934 gold diggers type stuff. and you mentioned it's red shoes and red some shoes, of the yeah. some of the color movies they were pulling from to create even though it's, it's so it's set in 1918 and my brain's so funny because it's shot in new zealand i just instantly my brain went to oh it's set in new zealand for for a few minutes and i was like oh no of course it's, it's this, the prequel to x duh uh, but it had a feeling of like it really did feel like they they really nailed for how they put this together the period which is crazy given it's yeah given its budget i'm sure um, so yeah, this one, and it does have this kind of musical, you know, undertone to it. It's got wall to wall score. I really liked it because it was kind of like uh, taking this old school, like early Hollywood musicals vibe um, that no one, no one borrows from. So I thought that that was a really cool style to it. Um, that said, I've already seen reviews online where it's like, I like Dex because it was like exploitation and Grindhouse. What the hell is this shit? Um, so it's probably going to be polarizing. Well, I think it's going to be something, I agree. I think some people won't like it quite as much, but others, I think it'll become one of their favorite movies of the year. I, I think this will end up topping people's top 10 lists of the year because it's a different kind of movie, but other people will just dismiss it. So I th- it's hard to know how it will land in a horror circles so much but i think movie circles it's a very interesting film i think it's so basically and without that we don't spoilers it's not really that kind of story even though you know where the character ends up and you know exactly yeah. where it's going if you have seen X. but it is it's really when i say something like a serum or a repulsion or something but mixed with these like you know uh you know just beautiful lush color and and there's some real darkness but it's never scary it's about a different tone it's a it's about seeing inside her head this kind of idea of if you lived in the middle of nowhere and had these dreams of, you know, uh, celebrity and Hollywood grandeur, like so many people did in that time period, like the people reading the magazines about the stars, they lived through those stars in the, you know, especially in the twenties. In this case, she really believes she deserves and should be on that pedestal or on that screen. And there's no way she's going to get there. And when the gap between those two things come and we realize she actually has a dark spirit inside her, essentially that's what you start to fall in. It's there's some really great sequences and tension, some really good performances, a couple of Kiwi actors. I, I kept saying to you, like one doesn't do much, but he's like 
Matt Sunderland's one of the best actors in New Zealand. Uh, really intense actor. I've seen him play a, a mass shooter in a real story uh, set in New Zealand called Out of the Blue. That's just one of the most tense movies I've ever seen. Um, and the mom's played by Tandy Wright. She she does a great job. But but the story behind this movie is definitely worth people looking up when Ty starts doing the circuit about him getting this greenlit back-to-back with X. I know we talked about it a little bit when he was on the show, but really interesting story behind it. Yeah, that was that was uh, how he got that made. I find just as fascinating as the story itself, yeah. um, and that it was kind of you know necessity of the pandemic um, that kind of pushed the project forward. But it totally worked. Yeah, so. and Mia Goth yeah. is just it's an incredible performance. Like this is a showpiece. Like X is obviously a showpiece for her in a sense because she's playing two roles and one is under a lot of makeup. But this is the kind of thing where no one's not going to notice her now in this after mm-hmm. this movie because it's it's just she gets to go all the way, especially to the end. <laughs> That's all I'll say yeah. about the ending. She's great. And she co-wrote it, so hats off. Yeah. So that one is, I think, doing like a limited theatrical this, this weekend. weekend. Yeah. So you should be able to catch it um, in the theaters and I'm sure it will be streaming soon. But for now, it's it's because it is such a lush, um, very classical cinema style film. It is definitely worth finding it in the theater. And announced, they announced, I guess, in the in the trades that he is making a part three um, following yeah. the other Mia Goth Wild character. Trilogy. Yeah, the other, yeah. So I assume it's after X, I would assume. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but very interesting. Yeah, I'm glad that they got a trilogy out yeah. of it. So, um, okay. So other new stuff that I have watched this week, I did two of the Shutter exclusives, okay. like direct to Shutter. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm going to start with, and I, I'm probably saying this incorrectly, Salome, mm. um, which is a Senegalian, Senegalese, yeah. We'll go with Senegalese um, movie from 2021 that is now a Shutter exclusive. This one, I loved this movie i thought it was absolutely fantastic uh it starts out with three and i i will not even pretend to know and i will say that there's a lot of underworkings about um the senegalese government and coups and then local tribal leaders and how the government works with um the locals and and mercenaries and everything like that um i was definitely had to kind of glaze over some of it because i did not necessarily understand all the history which is my yeah, it's like a big oversight on my part. But um, what you do get, there are three mercenaries who are trying to escape a government coup. And one of them is like, I know this place. I've been there before. It's beautiful. We're going to go there. And it's in this super remote area of Senegal on the Salome River. And so he's like, okay, we got to escape the coup. We're heading there. And basically, um, this place, it's kind of like, I'll say, a Senegalese version of like a hippie commune, where it is this absolutely beautiful um, place on this river. They grow their own food. They harvest their own animals. But the rule is you can stay there for free as long as you want, as long as you're working. And so you work the commune, but therefore you become part of the society. And you quickly learn that, you know, they're not the only kind of, quote, criminals there that there's a couple other people that are kind of hiding out, kind of trying to stay off the grid. And there are some people that are artists. It's a lot of artists there as well who are kind of just enjoying the landscape and the community and the environment. And you get from the start that something is slightly off because they roll in and there was one, the one guy who was taking them there, it gets there and he's like, oh my gosh, I remember this used to be over here and oh, this place, it hasn't changed at all. And you, you haven't aged a bit. And he knows everything about the place and knows everyone there, but no one seems to remember him. So you get this kind of off-putting 
tenseness from the very get-go. And then I'm not going to take it past that point because I don't want to give any spoilers. Like you start getting to know some of the people who are there. You start getting to know a lot about them. This thing has one of the craziest midway twists that I have ever seen that I was, I'll say like martyrs level of what the fuck just happened. Well, it probably explains my question because I had seen this picture cut pop up on shutter and i was like oh is it a cynically's like action film because it just looks like it's got a gun so i assumed it wasn't even horror but um it but is. so that makes me knowing that there's some sort of twist in there makes me go okay i'm in and i will say the first half is like or i'll say the first act because it does look super action because they are escaping this kind of war coup governmental political strife um it is shot it's shot like a tarantino film huh. like it is wild, crazy, kind of glorified, flashy action. And then they travel to this place. You have like a second act, halfway through your second act of super tension, as you know that something is coming, but you don't know what. And then it turns full supernatural. Like the the ending goes full supernatural. Hmm. Um, I really enjoyed this one. Hmm. Like okay, I good. had a blast. Yeah, and it was, it was short. It was like definitely like, like under 90 minutes, which was also nice. Um, but yeah, this was a really interesting glimpse into a culture that we don't get a lot of horror out of. And um, that I want more because this was just such a tight little story. And I liked the, I will just say the supernatural entities I found to be really interesting as well. I can't recall if it's from, also from Senegal, but that one I, it was like my number one from a few years ago called Atlantics. That that, that was, where was that from? It may have, I can't I know it's in the region. I just can't recall, yeah. but uh, that film has still stays with me. Like there's just little mm-hmm. mo- quiet moments. Obviously it's a quiet movie, but if people haven't seen that, I believe it went to Netflix in the end. Um, yeah. And it's just kind of haunting. Um, really good yeah. film. So cool. No, this one, this one is not slow burn. This yeah. one starts like a Tarantino, maybe gets slow burn for like 10 minutes and then just goes, what the fuck? And then it goes crazy. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is Salome currently on Shutter. All right. Um, I saw a movie that I know we were trying to see together, but it didn't work out. Um, so I think you're going to see it soon, but that is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Uh, yeah. You know, only like two months after it came out. Uh, directed by Helena Rajin. She is, I, I listened to a really interesting podcast um, with the Joe Dante podcast with her. And just her background is like, she's a like 20 year acting vet. She was in a bunch of Verhoeven films. She does a lot of like nudity on stage, like where she'll do a, a play almost completely nude on like really intense, dramatic Bergman-esque stuff basically is what she was saying. And then I don't know how she got tapped to direct bodies, but she comes over and that's her first feature. She had made, I guess, uh, maybe a film before that that was quite controversial. And um, she's definitely into things like Haneke and stuff. So it was funny to watch this. And this film is, it, it's very interesting. It's like, I, I actually think it's the most now film I've seen in the last few years. Like it is just exactly of the moment. It could be the snapshot that like 10 years from now we go back and go, Oh, what was life like right then around the pandemic in terms of privilege, wealth, uh, young people, social media, just like all this stuff in a capsule. It doesn't mean life's really like that, but it's like very much a satire. I guess it would be modern clue. You know, this, mm-hmm. this generation version of clue, nowhere near as lovable or clues lovable. No one in this is lovable. Uh, you know, it's all pretty cold in that way. So, uh, everyone probably knows the basic setup. It's a group of 20 things. Hurricane party, very much 1% kind of vibe. Pete Davison's parents' house. Uh, he's really fun. 
nobody in this film, I've got to say. Uh, and he's not somebody I am you know, have much interest in usually. Uh, Lee Pace is really great in this film. Uh, Rachel Sennett from... Um, the uh, the one where she has to go to the the Jewish funeral, uh, which I just it just totally looked. Oh, oh Shiva baby, um, Shiva, Shiva baby. baby. She's great. Like she's she probably steals this movie. Uh, the, Maria Bakalova from the new Borat film. She's the one who became a big star playing Borat's daughter. Uh, she's kind of the lead. So she's basically coming with her girlfriend. She's the one outsider to this, and she's coming to this thing. Her girlfriend is good friends with all these people, but wasn't exactly invited. And she had been an addict, and she'd kind of made a lot of mistakes with these people but had gotten clean so she's bringing her girlfriend back and everything is laced with suspicion the whole way through every character at some point you will be suspicious of there's the you know the mystery of what everyone's backstories are they get there there's a party that night that the storm hits and then they start playing this game bodies 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 which is just uh, it, i mean the most fun part about it is they get in a circle and before you play you everyone has to slap as hard as they can the person to their left so each person has to just smack them across the face and that's how we get into the get into the spirit to play the game and that that you know instantly you start to see their personalities kind of start to emerge it's a good ensemble uh there's some really funny stuff i mean obviously i'm not going to go anywhere near spoilers on this one because it's you know it's kind of uh it's all about who you suspect Uh, some of the characters who do not make it through the movie i feel the movie in the last act is missing a bit of an engine like it's really the first two thirds are really strong and then it just starts to run out of a bit of steam in that way but um there is some great digs at the rachel senate character who is a podcaster and they're just constantly going yeah no one really likes your podcast there's just a lot of funny digs uh, on all these kind of modern shit that we all do and spend our time doing but i think i it's is it horror that's a better question uh it definitely can be lumped into horror for sure i, I don't know if it is i think it's like a very mm-hmm. dark satire um that maybe has a couple bloody moments but i wouldn't go in expecting a slasher film per se even though it's borrowing uh some of the ideas from that but yeah i thought it was fun i think my problem with it is that i told you like two days later it was like chewing gum or scrolling the best twitter thread you've ever like the best when you see one of those great twitter threads like where somebody's really going to town with some great ideas and you get through it and then the next day you're never going to remember a single second of that and that was kind of how I felt about the movie is like as soon as it was out of my system two days later, I wasn't it wasn't in my brain anymore. So maybe that's because of this kind of satire it is. Um, but interesting. Excellent. OK, I still want to see it because mm-hmm. as soon as you said like contemporary clue, I was like, OK, I'm yeah, in. you need to see it for sure. Um, so continuing on with my new shutter releases, I saw who invited them. Hmm. And this one was actually recommended to me by Sam Zimmerman, one of the curators at shutter. Cause he knows how much I love my kind of like contained, um, room horror uh-huh. where you're trying to figure out why everybody's there. This definitely has those tones to it. So this is really small, really contained, um, you know, probably Uh, It's four people for 90% of the movie. There's a small party scene, but the setup is that it is um, a lovely couple who have had some type of success. You don't really know what exactly they've had, but they've had some recent success. They live in Los Angeles and they have just purchased a home in the hills and it's kind of isolated up in the Hollywood Hills and they throw a big housewarming party to celebrate the new party. And you get that everybody who is there, this has a lot to say about kind of wealth. And I'm not sure if it actually kind of, you know, 
gets its major point across as much as it just kind of has statements, making statements about it. Um, and you get that everybody at the party is like, how the hell did they get this? What did they do? Like, I don't know how they're affording this. D- is this party just to show off their fancy new house? Like it's, it's a lot of kind of commentary on it. Um, but they have this party and this couple comes, shows up. And the wife, um, they feel different. Whereas everybody else at the party feels kind of real. This one couple feels to be, the guy is like really sleek and like a power suit. And the wife is like super sexy and they look ridiculously wealthy. Um, And the wife assumes that the husband invited them and the husband assumes that the wife invited them. And then um, at the end of the party, they're just hanging out. This, this, everybody else has left. And this last couple that no one knows who invited them, them is still there. And then they're kind of like, oh, surprise, we're your neighbors. We just decided to crash your party. We live next door. And they decide to hang out and have like a post-party nightcap and have a drink. And then most of the movie takes place over the next hour, 45 minutes that this couple who lives next door is just hanging out with this other couple, um, getting to know them for the first time. And they immediately get suspicious of them because they're like, why would they just show up at our party? Like, how weird is that? And then it keeps getting weirder and weirder and weirder. Um, By about the midway point, you know exactly where it's going. Like the twist really reveals itself by about the 40 minute point and then just keeps going forward with it. But I enjoyed the ride to get me there and it had some really good character work. I will definitely say for a movie with four people in a house, it kept me entertained for most of the time. And it's a lot of mind games. It's a lot of mind games as you're trying to figure out who they actually are and what they're doing there and what their end game is. Um, it's also blissfully short at like 80 minutes. I am digging on some 80 minute movies lately. I'm just loving them. Um, so yeah, this one, I will say this is not for everybody. If you do not like slow burn, if you do not like contained, I mean, you can see the budget of this one because it is so small, one house, four actors. Um, but that said, I had a good time getting to that point. And it is, it, there's not, I will also warn, there's not a lot of horror. Like this is very much like a mystery. And then it explodes in the last 10 minutes. Cool. Um, did you have others? Yeah, that was, oh, that was who invited them currently on Shutter. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had any other Shutter ones because there, I had a rewatch. I was going to mention that I know you also watched that leads us uh... into the other thing. No, I've got some Netflix stuff oh, yeah. um, and then some old things. But yeah, that was my own, that's my last of the shutters. So yeah, what you got? Well, no, my, the next one kind of li- – well, I'll, I'll bring it up here because then we'll have a break from it. But yes, I rewatched Barbarian. I know you saw Barbarian. Oh, yeah. Uh, Barbarian. Look, I'm only going to bring it up very briefly because we're about to go deep with uh, Zach Kreger, you know, a little bit after this part of the show. But it really is for me the most fun I've had in a movie theater. And I just wanted to say on second viewing, it was still the most fun I've had in a movie theater. I felt like things were fresh again turn all the twists still fresh and i just had so much freaking fun um seeing it again so i just wanted to tell people and i will say uh warning for the second part of the show when we do interview we are going spoilers and so this is one of those episodes where i want to force people to go watch 
the movie and then come back and listen to that because I think there's a lot in there that's more interesting to talk about. A movie. Yeah. Otherwise, you can only talk about the first 10 minutes and it's... We know. give a little bit up top without spoilers yeah. on the interview and then we will give you a hard line yeah. where we say like, okay, spoilers pass. But they kind of drop all the way through. There are a few... Yeah. Po- just warning people. But anyway, that I just want to make sure because really I don't think we get many movies like this anymore that are quite this level of fun with these big turns that are getting, getting a big release. And I just... It's fun to see like people who are maybe not even as hardcore into horror who have gone and they are still having big reactions to it and i think every year we need a couple movies like that so this is that definitely took that so i'm glad we got to do that um but that was my only new rewatch so hit us with some netflix uh what's streaming yeah, so this week I decided to check out um, a new miniseries that just came to Netflix last Sunday called Devil in Ohio. Um, and this one, it's it's considered to be like a thriller horror. And I will say for me, it felt more thriller than horror, but it definitely has some horror notes. The setup is a psychiatrist played by um, uh, Emily Dashnell, who I know and love from Bones, from years of obsessively watching Bones. Um, And this she plays a psychiatrist who uh, one of her patients that shows up at the hospital is this mysterious girl who was rescued on a roadside that they think was rescued from a cult or possibly a group of Satanists. And she has a massive pentagram carved into her back, like upside down, like devil pentagram. Um, And when I say Satanist in this movie, think like traditional Satanist that we see in movies, not like, you know, hip Satanist, like very traditional Satanist. Um, And so she has escaped from something. She does not really speak. Um, She definitely is, is, struggling to find her voice um and she's incredibly malnourished and they nurse her back to the help in the in the hospital she's clearly got some ptsd she uh can't recall a lot of what happened to her she only gets flashes and she refuses to talk about it so the psychiatrist does what you do in any good sleazy thriller she decides to bring her home with her own kids to socialize her um so she's got two daughters of her own but she's like Hey guys, satanic girl moving in, sharing your bedroom, my 13 year old, how's it going? And so, um, the girl moves in and then suddenly it starts to like tear her own family apart as dad's like, why? And the kids are like, we hate this. And then at the same time, she starts kind of realizing that, um, not only did she escape the cult, but the satanic cult seems to be after her and not only just the cult, like you get from the get go that the town that she was found in the region that she was found in like the government and the police seem to be involved in some capacity um this was okay for me i i ended up watching six of the episodes i still have two left and i will finish it just because i really want to see where it's going um and i did think it got better as it went along but yeah this is this is definitely more of a thriller, not quite, even though it says horror, it's not quite as horror as I was wanting it to mm. be. But if you're, if you're looking for some satanic, um, you know, kind of like old school eighties portrayal of Satanist, this might be your jam. Um, and I really liked the girl who played kind of the, the girl who'd been through the trauma with the, the carving on her back, Madeline Arthur. Um, and I had seen her before in magicians. I'd seen her in a couple of short films and I just really like her acting. So, um, because she is kind of driving the bus in this one, along with Emily Dashnell, like I enjoyed the acting and found it to be pretty compelling so much so that I will definitely be finishing it. Okay. So that is currently on Netflix, Devil in Ohio. 
it's only eight episodes. So yeah, it's it's definitely worth throwing on in the background or binging one night. Okay, nice. Yeah, that one I hadn't heard of. Yeah, so the big rule is um, when you have the the girl who seems incredibly haunted and can't tell you why she has satanic carvings all over her body, don't move her in with your family. Mm. That is probably not the best treatment option. Um, but that said, that's 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 what they do here. So instead of manic pixie um, girl, that's where we are now. We're having that's where ex- that's where we are. T- tattooed cult ex girl, yeah. <laughs> Um, so do you have any others? Otherwise I'll throw it. No, I watched a couple old ones. I'll say for, uh, for our, um, uh, deep Deep cuts cuts. just because I was, uh, working all week. Um, so I will also throw out that I watched this, um, and this was like my breath of fresh air for the week. So I'm definitely going to mention it. I, I had planned to save this for deep Mm -hmm. cuts just because it's older, but I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to talk about it here. This is 2008, The Cottage. Mm which I had never seen because this was coming out around mid-2000s. This is when we were getting a lot of torture porn. This was like when we got the second Hills Have Eyes. This is, you know, the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. Like everything took this really torture porny, visceral edge to it at this point in time. And the cover of this movie makes it look like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre ripoff. Like it clearly has like a leather face looking guy with a mask on. It's real blurry. It's meant to look like kind of the glitchy grittiness that we were seeing in that Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. So I had never seen this movie because I looked at the box cover and went, eh, probably not my jam. And then um, I am gearing up to do the screen drafts on horror comedy. And somebody had tweeted underneath like one of the screen draft posts about us doing a horror comedy show. Oh my God, somebody better mention the cottage. And I was like, the cottage? I remember seeing that box cover and assuming it was like Texas Chainsaw ripoff. And um, so I double backed and watched it. It stars Reese Shearsmith from Inside Uh Number Nine and also Andy Serkis. Hmm. And it is in no way what that box cover makes it be look like it is a total black comedy Mm. it does have i'll call it a texas chainsaw massacre bend to it but that said it's a total black comedy um very british total black comedy like it felt like an elongated episode of inside number nine um it starts out two brothers played by reese shearsmith and andy circus um kidnap the stepdaughter of this like crime gangster this like underworld gangster and they kidnap his stepdaughter to exploit money out of him to um, they're holding her for ransom and they take her to while they're they're waiting for him to pay out on the ransom they take her to their dead mom's old cottage like this old cabin in the middle of nowhere where they used to go for summer vacations and um, their mom has died long ago and there's a lot of beef between the brothers they're both kind of idiots but in completely different ways um, like one is married, but you can tell that it's not a happy marriage and he feels completely overwhelmed. The other one is kind of thuggish and neither of them have their shit together. They both are kind of pissed off at each other for the way that mom's estate was handled after she passed away. Um, they both have these memories of childhood that come back throughout. Like it's, they're just constantly lobbing. Well, when I was 16, um, so it, they've got this incredibly tense back history together that they're constantly lobbing at each other, but trying to act as a team, they kidnap this girl, take her to a cottage, and then try to hold out for ransom. Now, the girl 
is a total, she's like, it's total Paris Hilton. Like this is mid two thousands. So she's basically like the British version of Paris Hilton where she's got on like the juicy sweatpants and she's blonde and tanned with big nails. Um, But she fights like hell. Like she has no problems just punching them, continuously insulting them, telling them what complete total jagoffs they are. So it's hilarious because she is just kind of like, you guys are idiots. This is ridiculous. Just let me go. Kicks them in the crotch. They bumble around for a bit. And then eventually it becomes kind of a chase at this cottage. And then they find out what's happening in the house next door. And that's where I'll stop. Um, because that's where we have our big act shift. So like you think the first half of the movie is very much this heist, which is hilarious. Like I absolutely loved the first half because it is these two completely bumbling criminals with this captive who can totally handle her own, but you totally get the character that they're going for there. And it's hilarious. The dialogue is great. The situation is great. But then in the second half, when they realize what is in happening in the house next door, then it becomes a completely different movie. Equally hilarious. Like it's still shot like a black comedy. Um, So this one was just a breath of fresh air that I really had overlooked just because the box cover was very much of its time. It was trying to make it look like a hostile, a captivity, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And this is not that. This is very much like a um, a horror farce. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was a trip. Yeah. This is The Cottage from 2008. Yeah, the cover looks like, or, or like some sort of ghost horror thing is popping up into the <sighs> cover. Yeah, okay, weird. I would not have predicted that tone. I would never have seen this cover and been like, I want to see that. Um, But yeah, this was, it was just like straight up, like fun British black comedy with a really fun horror bend. So should we go from a cottage to an Airbnb? Are we ready? Let's do this. Cottages to Airbnbs. Let's see where we go. So we are going to, uh, when we come back after the bump, we're going to talk to Zach Kreger of Barbarian, one of the coolest, most exciting movies out there right now. Uh, Enjoy. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by Fathom Events and their upcoming Poltergeist screening. Underneath the quest of Verde Estate, a more hidden threat is at play. Kick off the horror season early with a special Turner Classic Movies 40th anniversary screening of Poltergeist. Only in theaters September 25, 26, and 28. This exclusive event will also feature insights from TMC host Ben Mankiewicz. So grab the fam and get tickets now at fathomevents.com Welcome back to the show. We are very thrilled to see a film. I saw a little advanced um, at one of the early screenings because of our friend JD, who was a producer on the film, uh, and and said, you're going to love this movie. Come early. Uh, we are thrilled to have the director of Barbarian, Zach Kreger. Hi, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Uh, oh my gosh, this movie was an absolute trip. Um, so I know Elric is about to tell a story. What's the I'm gift gonna, that keeps I'm giving? It, it, well, okay, so first off, and this is just cool, because I don't think I've, I was thinking about this. I think this might be the first film I've seen twice in a theater. Like as a kid, you do that all the time. As an adult who watches movies and does podcasts and all this shit, you don't have time. Right. So this is the first film I think since Get Out that I saw twice because I had to go see it again. That feeling of like, shit, I got to go again because the entertainment, I dragged me to hell is another film that felt like that where I don't know if I did see it twice, but I've had that feeling, but I think 
you saw Anne in the Apocalypse twice, but that was my fault. That's true. And I'm glad I did because that's a blast as well. Anyway, sorry. This is a long-winded way of saying. Uh, so I saw it the first time. thought it was the most fun film I've seen in a movie theater uh, this year and maybe even before. It's it's a fucking blast. Well, thank you so much. I, I that, that means a lot to me. I appreciate it. So that. I came up to Seattle. I, I am here editing and I my editor as a horror guy wanted to see the film. What I didn't realize was he was going to bring. So basically you have made a family film. And I'm really excited to tell people, bring the family, uh, because he brought his, uh, you know, he brought his Don't nine-year-old. Bring the family. He brought his nine-year-old, he brought his 11-year-old, and he brought his 14-year-old and his wife. So there was five of them and me uh, going to see this, uh, you know, in Seattle. And I'm, I'm sitting there and they just had a blast. And it was, they all had very different reactions. They watch a lot of horror. So this wasn't outrageous. If, if, a nine-year-old? Oh, yes. A nine-year-old. Alright, I saw this movie. I saw the... 11.30 a.m. showing at the AMC 16 here in Burbank <laughs> because I was scared if I waited till the evening, I would have to take my daughter along. Yeah. And I was let, like, I can't do let that. Let me put it this way. Uh, your daughter should not go to this. <laughs> no. My kids should not go to this. But but what did the nine-year-old think? Uh, I, okay. And so first off, just so people listening know, we want you to, this will, there'll always be little spoilers. Like we'll do our best, but fuck it. We want you to go see the movie and then listen to this. You don't need to listen to this. Go see the movie. So uh, she all she said is, the flying part was my favorite part. Everyone had a different part. Oh, no. Everyone had a different and and it one one of somebody said, "Yes, I wondered more what was on those tapes." <laughs> oh my god. So anyway, but but the point is they had a freaking blast, which just goes to show this this movie transcends age, you know, and its restrictions. Um I'm not sure I will be taking my daughter anytime because this was a fucking extreme film. I mean, it was a blast. It was, and I, I agree with what Elric said, like a Raimi-esque, like yeah. fucking bonkers, how much weirder, what the fuckery is going to be thrown into this movie. Um, I in no way saw any of the twists coming, so I'm going to do my best not to ruin any of them here. But yeah, this was just an absolute trip. But I want to know how you first got involved in it because- um, when, when I know Disney's involved, you immediately think one thing, and then this movie does not feel um, that yeah. in any capacity. <laughs> so how did this uh, film come to fruition? Like, where did the idea for the script come out of? How did you, you get there? And then where did, how did you get the film made? Um, well, the script, I wrote it on spec uh, here in, in this room I'm in now, in this garage. Um, and uh, I, I had, uh, I guess the idea came... Um, from a book I had read called The Gift of Fear by the security consultant Gavin DeBecker. Have you read that book? You're mm -hmm. nodding. I've read it because I have read it in regards to a stalking incident I had a couple mm -hmm. of years yeah. ago, and it was highly recommended to me um, from somebody who had also been through a stalking incident, and I read it, and it changed my life. I, th I had a similar thing. I, I thought it was an amazing read. What it how would you describe that book? Basically, it's very much like that fear is your best instinct. And the mm -hmm. idea that people give you bad vibes, you should never think like I'm being paranoid mm -hmm. or, um, you know, this thing that feels harmless is probably um, that I'm questioning if it really is harmless like that, that the fear that is within us is probably the best thing that we have. And the idea that we should always be trusting our own instincts yeah. on things. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm at conventions and I'm suddenly I'm like, I've seen that guy like 30 times today and he's giving me a weird vibe that I should really trust that instinct. And yes. be like, and Elric's been with me where I'm suddenly like, that dude's creeping me out. Do not leave my side for the night. 
And right. yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's all these really chilling examples he gives of, of primarily women ignoring their better judgment because society has has kind of conditioned women to to ignore sometimes these red flags so that they don't come across as a bitch or as yeah. difficult or whatever. That's it, that's, exactly, yeah. Right. And he's saying in this book, you know, don't do that. Like, pay attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. And sometimes your instinct will know before your your cognitive awareness will, will be aware. You'll just know. And he's like, you got to you gotta follow that feeling. It's really a great book. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to just kind of write a, a scene just for myself uh, that kind of operated in that sort of, uh, of a space where I was like, what's an interaction I can give uh, a woman with a man where I can load as many of these little red flags as possible? So nothing overtly insidious, nothing major, but like in concert, all these little things will become a very stressful interaction. And so I thought of a double booked Airbnb and I, you know, um, and so that was the premise and I was just doing it for me. It's kind of, I say often, like I I wrote this movie in the same spirit that a child would color with crayons. You know, it was never going to be emailed to anyone. It was just fun. It was to create. And so, yeah, I wrote that scene that opening scene um, over a couple of days, probably probably not many, probably two or or or, or three. I don't know, uh, you know. And I I um I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind, oh, he's probably bad, you know. And um and uh, then I got them kind of down under the house. And are we going to get into spoilers here or not? I, I, I feel like you can stray because I think people can go watch it if they're listening to this. They can listen to the first half of the show if they didn't, you know. So, so green light on the spoilers. I, I think it's yeah, more just interesting. A little yeah, bit. we'll usually always kind of take it up to I'll say the midpoint of the movie. Like we'll at least give them a little taste to move them forward. Okay. So well, spoilers without getting, there without in, getting y'all. overtly spoilerish, and then we'll do a, a solid spoiler wall. Yeah. I, I will say that you know I I did not um, have anything planned out. I didn't outline this movie. I never knew what was going to happen in the next page. I was writing just kind of from that David Lynch sort of subconscious kind of a let, you know, turn your brain off and let, let yourself just be free. You know, Stephen King has this wonderful analogy for writing where it's like, you're, you're an archaeologist unearthing a dinosaur one, one bone at a time. And you have no idea what that dinosaur is. And that's the joy. And I, I tried to really do that. Um, and can I ask, uh, while we're on the writing, can I ask, is that how you wrote other scripts? Or is this the first time you've no, been that open? You know, no, no. Um, actually, my favorite script I ever wrote is not Barbarian. It's a, it's something that takes place in the in Gotham City in the Batman universe. Mm-hmm. And I'll never, I don't know if I'll ever get to make that movie, but I, that was a very structured, like save the cat mm-hmm. movie. I mean, it follows the beats to the page. I actually, I actually put the beats <laughs> to the page on on a on my wall on note cards, and I, I was like, I'm just going to hit these beats, and I did. And I got to tell you, I, I love that script mm. like deeply. So I don't know. I have different techniques. I'm still figuring it out. But um, for Barbarian, I, it was very much a who cares? You know, this is for me. Surprise myself. I'm not going to think about it. Um, and so this is what came out of that, and that's why this structure is weird. Because when I would get bored, I would just change it. I didn't edit myself, and I knew I was doing things that would make it almost unsellable. You know, so I just had to let that be the, the way it would be. Um, it's just—it's amazing given the thematic cohesion. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know viewers will always place 
themes and ideas onto something anyway, right? So you can like like a David Lynch film, of course. But but for me, it just feels so. Once you make a turn, right? Once once you once what is in the cellar or the basement is starts to be revealed, you're like, oh no, there's so much mother uh how men treat women how how there's always somebody even worse as a almost as a reflection to the other person which i thought on second viewing was very powerful actually um but then it's also funny as fuck (laughs) so and certainly now i don't want to pretend that i'm some subconscious genius who just like farts out things like believe me like when i finished it i went back and i polished and i took things out Mm -hmm. and i added things in and i scrubbed it and i i worked I worked very hard. So yeah. I, I certainly don't want to give the impression that this was just like <laughs> easy. You know, it, it's not, it's never I think easy. that, it's, yeah, that is, is pain. That's um, something that we definitely push on the show is that most of the stuff that would hopefully get made into a movie, I usually say is on its seventh, eighth draft, if sure. not further along by the time it actually gets made. So yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but I do think that when you write with like no result mm-hmm. and you just let yourself kind of, spurt it out and pour it out i you know i always name my first draft like terrible version of you know like 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 i will intentionally like call like this is trash so that i don't get bogged down with with trying to make it good so i just shoot it out you know i just want to get get the ugliest crappiest version of this scene written and when i let myself write in that headspace often it's pretty good like I, I don't need to go back and do as much repairs as I think because I'm just like pure in that moment. You know what I mean? I always um, try to use in my own brain, um, and I think it was Scott Reynolds who told me this. Um, but it may it may not have been. But yeah, I remember this coming from a TV writer that the idea of just putting sand in the sandbox that you get that your first draft is just throwing sand in the sandbox, and then you go back and make the castle. But the first one's just got to be throwing the sand in there. And so yeah. I always have like that mental picture in my head what I'm doing first. Um, well, I like that image a lot. I'm turning myself up a little bit, guys. Sorry. Um, I'm looking at my wavelength, and it's like or waveform. It's not. It's not as good as yours. Um, I don't have an indoor voice, so don't compare yourself. All to good. Me. I'm constantly turning my mic down. But I oh. think I think of it as like uh, like sketching. You know, like I, I I paint and draw too, and like I know that if I'm going to do a big painting, you know, and I'm I draw my first thing that I do is I don't start doing the details. I do like the general shape. You know, and it's light and I don't, I don't judge it at all. It's more just like to get a feel. And then I go and I do another iteration with more detail. And then I do another one. And then on the fourth, I'm into the, the fine tuning. And I think writing can have a very similar sort of a, of a process. So once you got the script to a point that you were really driving with it, um, how did you start taking it out to places? Um, I can see this one being, because I have a feeling that the pitch, the actual like log line that people are going to read in their email is going to be a lot different from how this film is tonally and how it actually functions. Um, So how did you craft out the pitch for it? Oh, well... Nobody, not, not, not cunningly, I can tell you, not, not expertly, very, I sent it to my agent and um, I think he, he liked it and he, he did send it out to people. But at the time, you know, me as a writer director is dead in the water. I hadn't directed anything in, since 2008 and that was disastrous um, as a movie with a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so I certainly knew that no one was going to be inclined to take me seriously. So, and now I'm coming out with this script that is like, so, you know, not marketable and I get it. And, and I heard everything that you would expect me to hear, you know, from the few people that bothered to give me feedback, the feedback was like, 
you know, wh- why would you introduce a character on page 50? Uh, nobody likes anything about show business. So why is he an actor? How can you expect anyone to follow a rapist um, for all these pages? Uh, you know, what is this? People didn't understand it. And um, and it was demoralizing. It took me, you know, about a year and a half. And I had a couple of nibbles of some people who I think got it, but were just like, didn't want to take the take the slog that it would certainly be to get it financed. So I, I had so many heartbreaks of like, I think this person's going to call and say, yes, like, you know, they're, they're talking to their boss and, and, you know, and all we've all been there. I hear that um, three times a week. <laughs> sure. You know, Oh, I really like it. Let me run it up the chain. We'll get back to you. And yeah. then I was stupid enough to like believe them. And then heartbreak. I had a, I had a producer attach himself and give me notes. And then I worked really hard to do those notes. And then he never, responded mm-hmm. um and that all of that takes a toll and i you know i was pretty much i was pretty much at the point where i was like okay time to write the next thing but i loved barbarian i just i really did like feel like if anybody could give me just the bare minimum i, I think this could be great and so i just i didn't stop and then eventually i got it to the guys at boulder light and they got it immediately and like they were effusive the, everything that i loved about it they loved about mm. and um and so I was like, okay, here we go. Like I, somebody likes it. And these are like two dudes in their twenties and they'd mm-hmm. made a bunch of movies, none of which I had seen. And I was just like, all right, well, you know, it's better than me selling my house and trying to like, you know, call in favors, which was th- something I'd thought about. Um, and then I'm in my, I'm in my bed playing video games at nine in the morning. <laughs> I'm not, I'm ashamed to say it, but it's true. And my phone rings from a number I don't know. And, and it's like, uh, uh, Hey Zach. I'm like, Yeah. He's like, this is Roy Lee. Uh, I read your script. I think it's great. I'm like, I don't, I don't know who that is. I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's like, how much do you think it would cost? I'm like, uh, you know, five, five million dollars, I think. And he's like, okay, I think that's doable. He's like, there's a couple of things I just want to talk about. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are, man. He's like, I'm Roy Lee. I'm like, right, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not familiar with you. He's like, I have a company called Verdict. And he like gave me his CV, which is like, you know, he made it, the departed, and the Lego. And I was like standing up and like freaking out in my in my bedroom. I was like, oh hey, oh, oh my God. Um and you know he was like yeah the boulder light guys gave me the script i think it's great like let's go and like that changed everything like that that day suddenly people started paying attention and we got we got so i i know this is a very long story i'll try and i'll try and move it quickly but it's it's we, what we're here for yeah, it's inspiring okay. we want to get inspired yeah all right so then through roy we scraped up about three and a half million dollars through this french financing company called logical who are great and and i i really really love them um they got the movie three and a half was a dream i couldn't believe it they had a pipeline to this bulgarian uh production company called dare which is also spectacular and any aspiring filmmakers who are thinking of going to bulgaria go with dare and i think you'll be all right is this where is that where you shot this yes bulgaria wow okay i have questions about that in a sec but we'll keep going with the path Okay, so we're setting it up. I'm 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 working with a line producer, and I'm I'm doing designs for everything with an art director, and I am like we've Bill Skarsgård's on board, and it's like things are going, and then like truly on the eve of my departure, the financier very suddenly and tragically died, oh, wow. and and they were done, they were out, and and the Bulgarian line producer was like, we're you know it's it's over like I, I people haven't worked it's COVID I can't like hold people while you go looking for more money like everyone's got to go jump on other shows and I, I mean I I cried mm. you know I thought it was uh, I was devastated I was like this is it this is my big thing and like I'm gonna lose Bill 
And, you know, we're going to have to push, you know how these things go. If you push oh, your movie, the odds of it actually getting shot are, are greatly, greatly diminished. Mm-hmm. And then Roy reached out to New Regency and he, 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 on a Friday, he was like, I need you to read the script first thing in the morning. I need you to get on a Zoom with the director in the afternoon. And if you like it, I need you to give me an answer like tomorrow. And so they read it in the morning and I got on a Zoom with the new Regency team that afternoon. I guess I must have passed the smell test. They upped my budget by a million dollars on that Zoom and then sent me on my way. And then the beauty part was they liked that they were coming in like the train had already kind of left the station. And so they didn't give me notes. You know, there's like, go make it. And so I just made it like an independent movie, but with new Regency waiting for me on the other side. And then, so that, you know, they have a deal with Fox and Fox is owned by Disney. So, so I came back, cut it together, showed new Regency. They liked it enough to test it. Um, tested great. That's Amazing. Amazing, because I could see this um, with test audiences. I remember from it's terrifying. Um, oh my god, because I, I worked both Fangoria and Blumhouse for a while, and I always was so fascinated by the test audiences that we did at both of those because you never know what you're gonna get. Never know, um, and it's and sometimes they'll hate the ending, and I'll be sitting there going, I don't know, I thought that was kind of good. Um, yeah. Like I I was in the test audience for The Strangers and Paranormal Activity, and both of them had vastly different endings. Really, um, then they ended up on the Mm. movies i always kind of like i i was just sitting there as like a fly on the wall but i always wondered what the feedback card said that it got changed so drastically Mm. um so yeah i'm glad you had an amazing feedback test we got feedback we had to make changes but they were not they were positive changes they were changes i agreed with you know that Mm -hmm. there's comedy has has really um wired me to pay very close attention to to the audience you Mm -hmm. know like if if you're not getting a laugh like it's not them. It's you, you know, they say individually they're idiots, collectively they're geniuses, you know? And I think that's true. Like you can tell if something's not working, you can, you can blame the audience, but if it's a big group of people and you're not going to laugh, like it's broken. So I also I, see I the sketches too. Funny. I also see the work of hard, uh, comedy sketches and play the a playfulness that kind of runs through this because uh, there's comedy horror and then there's horror comedy, right? The, I feel like comedy horror is a funny film that has some scary tropes. Like everyone's vampires. Like but, Tucker and Dale versus yeah, Evil. But it's, it's a movie I love. It's, I really it's, like oh, it. you're never going to feel any fear. You can't because you can't take right. that. Seriously. But yours is firmly in the horror. You feel horror, you feel tension, but you're also, I think the entrance of Justin Long is, you know, one of the best things I've seen this year. It's just such a hard left turn. It's hilarious. And then it gets dramatic and then it pulls you in. And then you're in, a, in a, you know, it's kind of like Psycho. You're in a, suddenly you're in a different movie. You have to find your protagonist. You're, you're, you know, right. um, which was fantastic. So, yeah, I was just curious about horror comedy balance when you're writing this out. And like, obviously we know your comedy roots, but what were your horror roots? Were they, were you a VHS horror kid like we were, or what was, what was your interest in horror? I wasn't really allowed to watch too much horror as a, as a little kid, you know, but I would love to go to, you know, Errol's and then Blockbuster and like, and, and definitely take my time in the horror aisle, just staring at the covers and just imagining what those movies must <laughs> be, you know, and just letting my mind make the movie. And I always wanted to rent them, but I wasn't allowed. So um, I, I certainly wasn't like, you know, steeped in it as a youngster. Now, around 13, I saw The Shining at a friend's sleepover and it changed my whole life. Um, and so, I, you know, I, as, I, as I became a teenager, I was able to smuggle horror into the house and, and, and you Wait. know, really, really do it. But Did um, I just read you're from Arlington? 
I'm from Arlington, yeah. Oh, shit. I'm Winchester, Virginia. Oh, okay. Like an hour away. Actually, um, the video store, I've told this story on the show many, many times. Um, The video store, after I'd rented every video in my hometown, I joined Video Vault in- Video Vault, I know well. Mm -hmm. I own chunks of their collection now. Um, Because when they went out of business, I was working at Fangoria and they called me um, and I went down and I bought like- bookshelves worth of their collection. I literally used an entire credit card to do so, um, which I couldn't afford at the time. But yeah, Amazing. I still, I own chunks of their collection. Yeah. I, I would make the drive to Video Vault and that was like church, you know, yeah. just oh wandering gosh, around yeah. and just, I would spend an hour and a half in there just looking, you know. Um, I have so much of their exploitation collection, all of it in big box VHS. Um, so yeah, that yeah. was kind of my big takeaway. Sorry, I just saw that. No, it's great. IMDb I remember they had the big like, Framed Freaks poster in the oh, stairwell, yeah. and I would stare at that and just be like, what is this? So, so cool. Gorgeous. So good. So and I don't know if you remember, there's a guy named Tad who worked there who was a punk, and he had big spiky punk hair. I was a punk. And so I, would, I was always like so excited to go and like see what Tad was up to. And he, he'll never remember me, but I was like very, very interested in like what Tad wanted me to watch. I don't remember punk, but I definitely went to a lot of punk shows in DC. So, me too. Um, oh, did you ever go to the Kaffa house? The witch house? The Kaffa house. It was like a Jamaican joint mm. on U Street. And like, it, this was in the 90s, like 96. I, this would have, so mine would have been 96, 97. I was oh. mostly at the Black Cat. In Black the Cat, Central. Black Cat. Insect Club as well. 930, um, 930 of Asylum. course. I had my hubcap stolen from the 930 Club. People are oh. tuning out. People This <laughs> makes me feel bad because I was such a nerd. I was just at home watching movies while you guys were like being cool and being punk. I'm yeah. called Ted. The number of times I have seen Fugazi in concert. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, thus we proceed. No, Sorry, well, let's jump into some of those because uh, we'll come back to the, the reception of the film and like uh, getting on the big screen and stuff. But like uh, some, you know, some of those horror influences on you. I heard you talk at one of the early screenings uh, about a certain director that we've been comparing this experience to a little bit with Drag Me to Hell and Sam Raimi. I don't know if that's a good place to jump in, but what were some of those films sure. that inspired, influenced maybe into this movie, but maybe just you in general? Well, Sam Raimi. Um, blew my mind you know uh, i again that was when i was at a friend's house and he was like have you seen evil dead 2 i was like i haven't seen evil dead 1 i don't know what you're <laughs> talking about it's like sit down put on evil dead 2 and the joyful quality of that movie i i was just enthralled the camera moves you know going through the car windshield that's why i go through a car win- yeah. window in my in my opening shot that's for sam you know when bruce campbell's running and he goes through the narrow uh he's inside the walls of the house and he turns left i built that hall so justin could run and turn left that's like me oh. saying hi sam i love you <laughs> like i i I, he, I could not be a bigger fan of of him and drag me to hell i think is a masterpiece yeah. so uh, i i I really, I really was affected by those movies. And, and I really think of them as joyful, you know, um, and, and Raising Arizona, you know. So oh, those God. are kind of twins. Same year, mind. right? Same, Raising yeah. Arizona belong together yeah. and they both exude the same joy. And so I, I just wanted to, I told my DP, I, you know, I was like, Fincher on the top floor, Raimi under the house. Like that's what oh, we do. Oh, like that, that so, makes so much sense and is such a good way to look yeah. at it. And yeah. I now completely see that. Yeah. And so, you know, when you get under the house, you go to wide lenses and you move the camera. It's always should be moving or close to your subject, you know? So you get that Peter Jackson, like kind of like fantasy vibe that goes on. So, so we used a lot of 12s and, and, and things like that and 18s uh, under the house. Um, Nice. So yeah, uh, can't get enough of Sam Raimi. Gigantic fan. 
Uh, and then other hard, you know, so Takashi Miike is huge mm. for me. Audition. Yeah. Uh, if there's any movie that I think Barbarian is is like kind of hiding behind or like, you know, directly birthed from, I would say Audition. Mm-hmm. Just because it's... Um, it's a political movie that doesn't that doesn't wear its its politics, you know, outwardly. Um, it's a, it's about male privilege. It's about a reckoning, even though it was a Japanese movie that happened, you know, uh, twenty years before Me Too. Um, it's a movie that ignores structure and that 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 tricks the audience into thinking it's watching something that it's not. And by the end of the movie, you kind of can't even believe that you're watching the same movie you started with. And mm-hmm. I just remember being traumatized by that movie. You know, when she, when, when the, when the hammer drops and you're, you're, you're face to face with the actual truth of the situation, it's, it's so not what you could have ever expected. And I just, I, I remember I watched it in my basement at my, my mom's house. And when it was over, I went upstairs and I was like, there's no one to talk to. <laughs> like, I, I have no one to, to, to like, I need to talk to somebody. And then my mom hasn't seen it. And like, what do no, none of my friends have seen it. I was just like, I, I felt this desperate need to like connect with another person who had shared this experience. So, and that mattered to me so much yeah. that, uh, that a movie could do that. Audition I mean, I remember being a wreck for days on that one. And it was like it where I couldn't talk to anybody. So that was actually getting back to the Virginia. I was teaching um, at Robinson Secondary School right outside of Fairfax County at the time period, fresh out of college. And one of my students had given me a bootleg copy of it because it hadn't been released in the States yet. Mm. Um, Like one of my 16-year-old students, I'm sure that's not supposed to happen. But yeah, they had given me a copy of Audition because they knew I liked horror so much. And I went home and watched it that night. And like, you can't talk about that with your high school students. No. And so I just remember being so floored by it. But even this week on Shudder, um, they released this documentary series that I'm a part of called 101 Scariest Horror Scenes. Um, and as soon as I posted, you know, that this was happening, all of the tweets I got back was audition has to be number one, right? That has well, to be I, I, what 10. is number one if not no, audition. Spoiler, I can't, yeah, I can't say yet. They haven't released it yet. Okay, but yeah, right. it's I, I will say um that I, I have a feeling that that's definitely gotta be up there. It's gotta be up yeah. there. But in a similar way with an audience too. One. Yeah. Like when you Sorry. watch that movie in a similar way, watch it. I saw that one with an audience and it was mm-hmm. un- unreal how, how it just the certain points where it pulls you in quietly with quiet filmmaking. And then there's moments where you're just leaping back. And then when the re- when she's going to town on him, there's a gleeful fear that you're feeling. And, it, and sometimes it's in contrast to what you're watching. So, you know, I think yeah. there's something, something similar about films that are really made for an audience to be seen yeah. together, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Audition is punk. It is punk it rock. Is. It is like, that is the truest. Yeah. It, it's amazing. I consider most of Mikay's work to be pretty punk. And he himself, when I, um, when I interviewed him, I met him once in person in New York city, he wore a full leather suit, red leather. Yeah, like That's like, the coolest thing. Suit. Ever. Like yeah. it was just, and it was for a kid's movie he'd made called, I think it was called pig man. Hmm. Um, oh, zebra like, man, zebra man, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's like an equal opportunity like director where he does just a little bit of everything. But yeah, yeah, I was interviewing him on a kid's movie and he was in this like Eddie Murphy-esque raw full <laughs> leather suit, um, just blood red. It was amazing. amazing. Yeah. I bet a lot of people, if they were, would think that maybe I owe something from Barbarian to, to Gozu, but uh, just because of the the lactation, but um, <laughs> but but no. Well, the lact, um, I mean, I feel like is that in Visitor Q as well? Well, Visitor like Q it, is super like lactation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they have umbrellas for it in that film. That, okay, 
Visitor was- Cube made a big impact on me too. I mean, the, just the, the the cork sound, and I won't get into what's going on, but I remember that cork sound being like, oh. is that the most effective sound I've ever heard in a movie yeah. in my whole life? And I think still to this day, yes, I've never heard a sound effect in a movie that carries the the weight of that. <laughs> I have had so many conversations about the films you only need to watch once. And I think yeah. that's visitor cue for me, but it well, is coming up on like, it's been, I have probably not watched it for 20 years now since it like very first came out. So I may need to rewatch that. Sometime. I've watched it multiple times, but the first time was by myself. And every other time I've watched visitor cue, it has been to like sit someone else down and watch them watch visitor cue. You know what I mean? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I've done that with Mobius a few times. I don't know if you've seen that one, but it's kind of a similar um, no. effect. Okay, now I'll have to recommend it. It's um, it's another wild, like, psychosexual Japanese or South Korean. I cannot remember which one. Um, it came out as part of the big Asian flux of horror films that came out probably mid-2000s to, mid to early 2010s. Okay. Um, I will definitely say oh, that one. Kim, it's another, Roy, Roy's Kim probably Pino. all over it. Yeah, it's another, like, fucking job dropper i mean cool. yeah mobius look at yeah. me i don't know it's south korea right yeah kim it is it? I, think I think it's it kim Duck, the guy who did the aisle the really crazy stuff yeah yeah it's fucking it's like i remember seeing it at a festival and at that festival i saw that one there was a science sano film playing and i just remember being like this is the best thing ever because everything's cool. insane um so yeah i'll have to look that one up and send it over to you but yeah okay. if visitor q inspires you this will this will be there as well okay right. visitor oh, q was probably one of the vhs tapes in your film on the shelf <laughs> yeah yeah it could be, could be. Okay, so I want to hear about filming in Bulgaria because that is not one of the kind of, you know, that's not the Atlanta or the Mississippi or either like Romania um, where I hear lots of things being shot. So how they do they do shoot lots of things there. Uh, We were one of nine productions that was going at that time. And I mean, like I think nine American productions there. So like they were shooting Toxic Avenger. there at the time well that makes me giddy as well just knowing that there's one coming um but yeah so so you didn't have problems like finding crews or or anything well we we were we were worried about it but no i gotta tell you the crew that i had was just like fantastic it was a bunch of talented professional people who cared you know the fear would here's here was the, the real fear was i didn't get to pick my department heads you know um I I was assigned, this is your art director. This is your costume designer. These are your effects artists. And I was just like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, that's not how it's supposed to work. And they're like, this is how it's working. And I was like, okay. And and all of this was under this guy, Ivan, and his partner, um, Alitza, who who have this company, Dare Films. And, and I tell you, like... I couldn't have had better partners. They just, they just knew the best of the best. They got people that like that got it and, and crushed it. And so uh, I'm lucky. I, I, I don't know what other experiences are for people making movies in Bulgaria. Uh, whenever anybody asks me, I get a lot of directors calling me and asking me about like, how's Bulgaria. And I say, if you can get dare, then you're going to be in great shape. I, I don't know about anything else, but I know that dare will take care of you. So anyway, uh, it was great. You know, we, we had to, the only problem with Eastern Europe is that nothing looks remotely American. So for our ruined Detroit neighborhood, you know, we had to build it from scratch in a field. And so there's 13 houses that we had to kind of facades that we had to erect. Mm. Um, wow. That, that is a hell of an undertaking. Yeah. And then rebuild them for the eighties flashback. So we had to be very careful about what we would, see in the eighties and only redo that angle, you know, how much of that was modeled a degree you would see, you know, 
other stuff. But yeah. yeah, and were you building it to scale? So like Disney Land does, where like the houses look okay on camera, but they're actually kind of shrunk down. No, they were to scale. Yeah. Oh wow, that's yeah. impressive. But was that modeled after like real areas of Detroit? Yeah. So we, we I had a lot of YouTube videos mm. that you can find of people just driving through Brightmore and other neighborhoods that are you know just just like a camera in their car, just like showing the houses. Uh, which I used for my rip reel, which is actually on. I just tweeted that out. So if anyone wants to see the rip reel I made for this movie, it's it's a lot of YouTube videos of of just like cruising through Detroit. And so we would go, I would go through with Rossi, my um, my art director, and we would just like pick the houses that we were we thought were really interesting, and then we would just kind of like m- mimic them. So if you didn't get to choose your um, you know heads of departments, what about let's talk about casting because I think it's it's a great cast. And 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 again, spoiler, don't listen to this. Go away, go watch the movie. But it's like the casting of Bill Skarsgård's obviously brilliant. I, I, even the second viewing, <laughs> I, I felt like you'd want me to feel on the first viewing. It's like, yeah, I don't know, Bill. As I'm watching it, right? Like even even up to the last moment, he's just great. And but Georgina Campbell, and I think you really succeed in this idea that of what your original, what you're writing in that first scene, which is she's doing all the right things. She's listening to her instinct in the situation in the first part of this film. And then you get to have fun with that as the movie goes. We, so the audience can yell at her. You know, it, it gets crazier, crazier. The pressure is on her. But in those first scenes, she's not drinking tea. She's not sure she should come in. She's like, it's, I think, yeah. I think she, the casting of, I, I was unfamiliar with her work and I think she's, a, you know, a real standout. It's a fantastic role. So walk us through, and then Justin Long, I've already said. So uh, walk us through the casting of this and how much say you got uh, to put this together. I mean, I haven't say I'm the director, yeah. so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I scoured um, for George. Uh, I didn't know, I wasn't familiar with her either when I started this process, but um, I, I, I knew that when I found her, I would know, and mm-hmm. I found her in a Black Mirror episode. Right, and, great one. Uh, hang the DJ, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, gosh, hang yeah. the DJ, and I was just like, that's it. Like that's that's her. And so then I watched another movie she was in and, and it just confirmed it. And then I, you know, I got on a zoom with her and um, I'll tell you, and this is not manipulative. This is just a good, a good tactic for casting. If you're a director and you're trying to, you know, score an actor, you know, praise them, Um, tell them the truth, tell them if you believe it, you know, praise the, praise the hell out of them. So I, I, I gushed, you know, and I, and I and I came at her with this this pitch. I said, "Look, George, you know, like if if you make a good, actually scary horror movie, it's going to get found. There are no terrifying horror movies in existence that have not found their audience because the cream rises to the top because this community will go the ends of the earth, and when they find it, they will proselytize." And I was oh, like, "Oh, I use that, that word to describe horror all the time." I and I was it. like, "If if this movie is as scary as I think it is on the page, and if you agree with me, then trust that I will deliver on the screen and that we will get there. I don't care what platform it ends up on. You know, at the time, we thought this would probably be straight to streaming somewhere, maybe Shutter, maybe Hulu, who knows? Mm-hmm. I was like, but it will it will find its audience. I, you know, and like let's just trust history. And I think she I think she agreed, and uh, so she was the first one to come on board. And I remember I was just like so overjoyed. Um, and then you know we were looking at potential Keiths and and we're going through all these names and, and our Nancy Nayer, our casting director was like, you know, brought up Bill Skarsgård. And I was just like, I thought he was way out of my league. You know, I'm a first time director. I was like, this guy's never going to say yes to a low budget. He, he's the star of the biggest horror movie of all time. 
You know, he's the guy. I was like, he's never going to. But I was like, let's take a run. And Roy produced it. So Roy reached out to Bill directly and gave him the script and was like, take this seriously. And I got on a Zoom with Bill and, you know, I praised the hell out of him and gave him a similar spiel. And he liked it. And, you know, Bill's not a horror fan. He's really not. Like, it's not his his lane necessarily he's a he's a serious actor who who leans towards serious movies but he he liked this so that worked and then justin you know um you know it's uh i'm just a gigantic fan of his i'm just a gigantic gigantic fan i think he can do anything and and um he, he I, he's proved me right was that because of drag me to hell was that the one that was on your brain that's a big part yeah. of it i love that he steals everything yeah. dude everything yeah. he's in he steals and mm-hmm. and i think he's criminally underutilized and so i i just felt like if i can if i can have an actor of this caliber in this role then like i'm cooking with gas i've got yeah. it and i knew when i had the three of them i was like there's this is mine to blow this movie is mine to blow yeah he looks so kind he's got such a kind face and that and that's what's so great about this role is it keeps you guessing and you have some really ballsy stuff in there i think and i i really appreciate it for that that it's a film that's not just saying it's a gray area subject it's like no no it's not gray we know exactly where this guy stands at a certain point but we still have to watch how he deals with things and we can still laugh at him that's the amazing thing some of the biggest laughs come from his behavior in that house and it's unreal yeah if you read his his character on the page, he's just a vile, loathsome dude that, that yeah, the execs are right. No one wants to watch a character like this for half an hour, but mm-hmm. you put Justin in there and now you have something interesting because he's so lovable. And to watch somebody that kind of endearing be so vile is uh, fascinating. So I was, I was, it's great. So talk a little bit about the filming because you do have such a, a drastically different aesthetic, like you said, kind of filming style. You've got, you know, Venture um, up top and then it transitions downstairs. But how did you kind of work with the production design? Because that's that's what I love so much is it's like, you know, we have a, a decent Airbnb up top. It might be in a, you know, not great neighborhood, but it looks like a pretty decent Airbnb, but then transitioning to the downstairs. Um, how did you kind of work with the production designers on that one? You know, we just, um, we just got really granular, you know, we just talked about the wall color, talked about what the furniture would be, you know, I looked at photos of shitty Airbnbs. You know, I don't think it's that great. It's not terrible, but it's, it's not, not terrible. I've been, I've seen worse. <laughs> I've seen worse. Too. I've seen worse. Yeah. Too. Um, and then under the house, you know, uh, we looked at at mine shafts. We looked at dungeons that people had constructed in their homes, and we just, you know, research, research, research. Really, so everything is research. Um, um, yeah, it, and Rossi is very talented. She brought things to it that I hadn't thought of, and mm-hmm. uh, and and you know. I, I, as a director, your job is obviously to have a vision and have ideas, but more importantly is to accept good ideas when you hear them from your crew and, and implement those. And I, I mean, my brain can only go so far, but if I can, if I can harvest everybody's brains around me and then I can, I can elevate myself. So, so um, I was very, uh, very reliant and, and I told every department head, you know, from, from the composer to the cinematographer to the every, I was like, this is the movie to be weird. I was like, cause I kind of was thinking this is probably the only movie I'm going to get to make in my life. So I, I want to push it. Like, I'm not going to like play anything safe. So I told, I was like, everybody, like, if you've got a idea that you think is too weird that I'm not going to like, tell me anyway, you know, mm-hmm. um, I heard some bad ones, but I heard some great ones. And so, you know, like, for example, my favorite thing, um, that Rossi brought is like in Frank's room, you know, there's on the wall, there's this beachscape that yeah. she brought 
And to me, that's, that is the most powerful thing ever. And that, that made me have the Hawaiian music idea. And to me, that shows that Frank and AJ are, are spiritually linked because we meet AJ at the beach. Mm. You know, when we meet him, he's in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And then Frank, what, what do we find in the depths of hell? But like that same image is down there. And that's from her. You know, that's not me. I love that. Ooh, yeah. And it's, and it should suggest some inner life. Like I actually don't think I noticed it on first viewing. And then this time I, my I brain actually stopped for a second and went, huh, I wonder what that tells me about that guy. It was, it was interesting. Um, There's lots of little things like that in this movie that I wish I could take credit for. But like, you know, like, for example, you know, AJ is singing when we meet him, the song Ricky Ticky Tavi about a mongoose that's (laughs) supposed to kill snakes, but the mongoose doesn't. So he has to kill his own snakes. Mm. And Tess is represented by a snake. You know, we Mm -hmm. fought we we follow that snake pendant. That's how we know we're in Tess's world. You know, when we come back to the house, we start with the snake. She is representing uh, hit prey or predator snakes or predators. But in this story, they're also prey. And, and when she finds the secret house, it's a little sculpture of a mongoose, a little mongoose thing. We pull it mm. and what's behind it, the cord as a snake, you know? And so it's like all of these little things are maybe no one will ever notice these things and that's okay. Um, but I love that they're in there and I yeah. love that maybe some psychopath will notice. Them. I did notice the book. I noticed the novel, but the secret right. room, and, Jane, and, and you know, so Jane <laughs> yeah, Eyre is actually that, that is, uh, a reference obviously to the mother and to what's going on under the house, but it's also, you know, so is Ronnie Spector at the end of the movie. You know, Ronnie Spector is singing a song that is a a joke. Oh, be my baby. I get it. Ha ha. Cute. Ronnie Spector was imprisoned in her house for 10 years. Oh, wow. She she lived this movie. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. I got you. Um, And so that, that is also, you know, there's a lot of those things and I don't expect anyone to get these things, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel immense pride that that the, the layers exist. Well, and that's how we watch things, right? Subliminally, a lot of things get in there that we sure. don't even know what's coming. Always. I, I had a question, you know, for a lot of people coming up wanting to make films uh, and having done so much comedy, you know, what was your biggest learning curve for you personally uh, to make this film from start to end to where we are now? What was the biggest learning curve from what you had made prior? Well, so the movie that I made in 2008 is called Miss March. And it was a movie that I I signed on to incredibly reluctantly for all of the wrong motivations. You know, I wanted to be a big, famous director, actor, and I didn't like the script so much. But my partner, Trevor, and I thought we could rewrite it and and star in it and get get our big break. And, you know, so what if it wasn't that cool? And I'm not interested in sex comedies. It's not the kind of movie I ever thought I would make when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. But it was the path of least resistance. It was the low hanging fruit. And so I did it and it, it, it was a troubled movie. Um, and the lesson that I learned and I, I hope I've learned, it's not an easy lesson to learn, but the lesson that I learned is that, you know, um, you, your motivations matter, you know? And, and I think that like, you know, one thing I, I know about barbarian is that it was like, a, it, I was passionate about it from the conception. It was a joyful uh, creative process for me from the writing to the directing. And I think mm-hmm. when you do things in that spirit of joy, it's infectious and other people will, will, will share your vision ideally. And it was a complete, it's actually, it's funny because we're now at 92. I don't care about Rotten Tomatoes so much, but Miss March had a 5% Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. And, and, and uh, for a little while, uh, Barbarian had a 95. And I was just like, look at the difference that happens when you have different attitudes in these things. You know, that was a cynical money grab for the wrong reasons. And this was like a, uh, a, a, a passion project. And, and I, 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 I totally agree when people sit, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is a flawed system and, and to put too much stock into it is, is kind of ridiculous. But it, for me, it was a, it was a very gratifying, that number was like, oh, wow. Like, 
I, I took pleasure in it. I won't. I won't. Just as people are getting joy from it. I mean, and then the other thing I was curious about is getting this into theaters. Like, you know, as somebody who's now just seen it twice, it's it's why I want movies to be in theaters. It's the communal yeah. experience. It's a fucking blast, and and you want to share it with people, which is you know gets maybe rarer and rarer at times. But um, it could have very easily just popped up on Hulu. And I don't think, I think Predator Prey is a very good example of that recently where it's doing gangbusters on Hulu, but a lot of people would have loved to have seen that in theaters. Um, yeah. You know, t- talk a little bit, because I think the trailer also had something, the trailer was really smart. Like I was kind of shocked when I watched the movie and went, wow, the trailer was a perfect, not misdirect, but it just, it's hard to get trailers like that now. It was the perfect yeah. bait, you know, yeah. it was the perfect bait. But, but yeah. to be, to get this theatrical, uh, to, you know, to see how well it did this first weekend, which is just freaking awesome, you know, congrats. But how did, you know, was that a hard sell? Did you need, were the producers just fighting because they believed? That, that was all done in rooms that I was not in, yeah. you know? So um, there were conversations happening without me about, about these things. And I, I really, you know, I'd heard rumblings that like, maybe it wasn't, you know, Disney, Disney came to one of the test screenings and, um, and I, and, you know, I, I, I got a excited phone call. Like, I think, you know, they might be talking about theatrical, but like then many months later, um, you know, I got the word. So there, there was certainly no, no leverage that I had yeah. or, or anything like that. So I'm, you know, I'm just, just a, a, a leaf on a river basically <laughs> like yeah. at that point. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, eternally grateful that things worked out the way they did but i have no no say in it but see it on wow. big screen see it on a screen yeah big, see it on a, was screen, a friend <laughs> this was one of the the it looks like this was one of the top grossing movies from this past weekend oh, it was yeah is, yeah this is absolutely it was the, this last weekend yeah it was the top mostly yeah, just because of me impressive. i got twice just elric went <laughs> man, twice. yeah thanks man actually I, the I, first I, time was free yeah. jd did pay for so i, I got, uh, you know no don't say me <laughs> <laughs> I got that weird matinee, um, which I was surprised actually when I saw it at the 1030 show, or I think it was 1130 showing at the AMC 16 in Burbank. Usually when I go to those like matinee shows the first week, I'm normally the only one in the theater. Mm. Um, And it was pretty full, I have to say, which was kind of crazy. That was like a Friday at noon. So yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I went, I went Sunday at 1230 at the Alamo and it was pretty full. I was like, this is, this is. This is something. What do you like yeah. when you watch, like in terms of the comedy, what is your favorite, like watching this with the audiences, what is your favorite thing to see them reacting to? Do you have a moment where you like really enjoy seeing that? Well, I, I certainly love the big, the big flip. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that, You're that, pretty. that's a blast. Um, I love when, when the beach comes up and I, I, I've never been in this movie and not heard people be like, what the fuck, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And so that rules. Right. Uh, the measuring scene yeah, yeah. Uh, consistently delivers, so I really mm-hmm. like that. And then, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I think one of the most divisive moments in the movie is the mother flying. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, it's uh, absolutely you know, brilliant. It, it, every time it gets a big laugh. And I think I, I, I think it's either people think, like, this is so stupid, I can't believe it, or people are just like, I can't believe this movie just decided to do that. You know, mm-hmm. either way. It is what it is. Um, it's to me the most Raimi moment. It's the moment where because Raimi yeah. is maybe the only other person who could have pulled it off, and you pull it off, and so it's a it's a risk. It's like I, I think it's beautiful. It's, it's a risk, yeah. but it's also it's like I can't think of any other way to end this story. Yeah. Like this is what has to happen. Yeah. This is how the movie demands to be ended. So yeah. you know it is what it is. Like 
I don't care. Um, no, it's, it's so I, I love that moment, yeah. but it always gets a laugh and I never thought it would. I did not think it was going to be funny. I thought it would be like a, Oh, and it's, it's a laugh. Well, so, no, I think it's like the Mike um, thing actually, because, um, like I was saying, I think I remember laughing in a theater when she was cutting his leg and it's shocking. So you start to laugh. I think at this moment, you're, it's so insane that it's not just, it's not that it's funny. I think there's an insanity. You're like, what are you going there? Yeah. And even audition during the, yeah, yeah. I mean, like by the third pin, you're almost laughing and. Because yeah, because you're like, stop. Yeah. You're like, stop it. Oh, my God. Yeah. When I was watching Audition and she was doing the third pin, it was like it was almost like she was doing it to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was so hardcore. Yeah. Oh, it's great film. What a movie. Oh, wow. Um, well, you know what else? I, I would be remiss if I didn't if I didn't plug on here. And it and I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that this inspired uh, Barbarian because I actually think I watched it during production. Mm-hmm. Um but Saint Maud, oh, I think I think that Saint Maud is a modern masterpiece that n- does not get enough love. Hmm. Um, I think Rose Glass is like probably a genius, and that's her first movie, and it's like that's it's that's a that's a true masterpiece with one of the scariest scenes I've ever seen in my life, mm-hmm. and an ending that I thought was just like a total explosion, and I I loved it. So, did you have you guys seen that? Oh yeah, yeah. But I started on a computer like this, and I I hate doing that. And again, it goes back to that. If I'd seen that with a festival crowd. I remember watching it on a theater and go, oh, this is good, but I didn't get hit with what the early word was. And I like movies like that. That's my kind of movie. So I, I feel like I yeah. need to see yeah. it again. Again, I, I really think sometimes the screen matters. Sometimes being with it people, does. it still matters. Movies yeah. still matter. Yeah, in that, way. that was yeah. that was definitely a pandemic film when Elmer yeah, and I, I think were she covering got a little, it. Yeah, yeah, and we definitely were like sent a screening link. You know, it's just not the same. The show, yeah. yeah, it was definitely not the same. But that said, that ending still punched. Yeah. Um, oh. and there was definitely that's one of those A twenty four films where I say it's not a horror film until it is. Um, <laughs> and the last ten minutes when a, a specific actress does something that makes mm-hmm. you go oh my god that that yeah. was the moment for me in those final 10 minutes i fucking loved yeah um, so yeah it felt like a paul schrader film that just turned into a horror film yes yeah that's great. how i feel about a lot of a24 where i'm yeah. like it's not horror until it is and then yeah. it was crazy i felt that way about men as well where i was i've like, not seen men the ending the final 20 minutes i fucking loved because it was just absolutely like bonkers like old school like extra level of just absolutely bonkers um but it took me a good 45 minutes to warm up to it to be mm. able to kind of be receptive for that final 20 it's a little on the nose it's a mix it's, yeah it's- it is it's a little it's a little it tells you exactly what it's going to say in the opening and then it keeps reminding you and then it says it again and again but it's beautifully made beautifully made yeah so yeah it's a mixed bag for me but it's definitely worth seeing if not just for that final 30 minutes which honestly might be the best like practical effects you will see this year okay Um, it was okay yeah cool uh barbarian 2 the next level are, are we ready? Yeah, just not. Okay, he silently nodded. We're good to go now. <laughs> <laughs> so now knowing that this has kind of exploded, number one film of the weekend, like what are you looking for now? Like, are you trying to get that Batman script over to him? Or like, I would love to do that. I mean, honestly, I, I, I am, I am very passionate about that Batman movie. Believe it or not, and and I don't like superhero movies. I, I, I don't watch them. I'm bored by them yeah, generally. Exactly. This is a really, it's like a very small story that just takes place in a, in a, in a Gotham setting. Um, 
So I don't know. I don't think anyone's going to give me the keys to that car anytime soon because they've got a lot of good things going on over there. But one day I hope to, I hope to be able to, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm writing right now. So I'm writing a horror movie that is way weirder than yeah. Barbarian. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I'm going to pull it off. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to have the same kind of spirit of just like, don't think about it, just write it. And I, sometimes when you do that, you, you run into a lot of dead ends, you know? And, um, so it's not always like you're, you don't always land the plane. No. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I remember talking to, um, rest is salt, Larry Cohen yeah, one day at, it was actually at your cafe, Elric. Yeah. I remember talking to him about writing and he told me that you should always intentionally paint yourself into a corner yeah. in scripts. That if you write mm. yourself into a corner, those are your finest moments because you will eventually find your way out and those will be the moments that the audience is like, holy shit, I can't believe I love it. that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Well, there's that famous story of Tolkien, right? Where he wrote himself into a corner at the end of Lord of the Rings where he like got... Frodo, like right up to the cusp of the pit. And he was like, I don't know. I don't know. And he was like stuck for a long time. And then finally he was like, Gollum bites his finger off, which is like the perfect, perfect device, you know? And it's like, it was right there. I I definitely got stuck writing Barbarian. Um, You know, uh, it it, it was the, the script existed for a long time before AJ went and found Frank Mm -hmm. in the, in the house, you know, Frank, Frank wasn't down there. It was just the flashback. And then I was like, oh, he finds him. And he, there, Frank, the gun, the gun is something. He confronts himself. And then he has to he has to take something from that room. He has to like acquire something when he when he meets himself. And so, you know, the gun and then shooting test, that was all in a, in a later thing mm. that helped a lot. And then and then I was off to the races with the, the denouement. But uh, yeah, it's it's total paralysis for, for long periods of time and misery, you know, writing is, is so miserable. I really feel, I feel tremendous guilt when I'm not writing. And then, and then when I do sit down and start, I feel tremendous pressure. And then when it's over, I feel like relief and, and satisfaction, but then it, the, the guilt is right there again, immediately. You know, it's just, it's, just, I hate it. I fucking hate it. But it's basically <laughs> impossible. And yet there's the movie. That's the great thing about it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know? It is. So keep awesome, it up yeah. and we can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, guys, thank you so nice much. That's so nice of you. Yeah. This has been such a pleasure to talk to you about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining us. And and we'll geek out about all things um, Nova at some point. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I'm sure we must have been to some of the same shows. Actually, oh my you know gosh, yeah. But we should end the podcast now, but there, I want to recommend a YouTube channel to you about about the, the, that stuff. I That's think you great. can recommend it on air, yeah, guys. Sure, yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Uh, Just high school buddy I'm, of mine I feel like Evan- we have some, some Virginia listeners here, at least like, you know, Northern Virginia, D.C., Maryland type folk. So there's a guy I went to high school with named Evan Keeling who has a YouTube channel and he filmed every single show. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was at every show and he filmed them all and he put them all on YouTube. So like, I don't know if you were like into the suspects and the goons and, and the 22s and, mm-hmm. and all of these like kind of D.C. things that were going on at that time. But like they're all on there. And so I found myself in them, you know, I was like, there's me. Okay. Um, so the, yeah, it's, it's cool. There's a, there's a ton of those old shows on there. So Evan oh Keeling, I think that's the name of his channel. And I got to look at, there's up. like 70 or a hundred shows. It's great. So yeah, I, I lived at those shows when I was in high school. Cause my, the rule in my house was as long as I had straight A's, I didn't have a curfew. Wow. And so I, as long as I kept my grades up, my parents did not care if I was, and it's like a 45 minute drive from Winchester to DC. And mm. I was in there four nights a week. 